Welcome to the Behavior Speak podcast. Now, here's your host, Ben Ryman. Welcome to another episode of the Behavior Speak podcast. I'm your host, Ben Ryman. Uh, today in this studio, the virtual studio, we've got uh, Landria Seals Green. Welcome to the podcast, Landria. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Totally. This is exciting. I'm looking forward to this. Um, uh, I'll just, some, instead of sort of just spending a bunch of time introducing you, I think I'll, I'll just let you do that yourself. Uh, I always like to kind of ask folks uh, kind of their origin story um, uh, in, in terms of sort of, A, kind of how they got into the field, uh, but also how they kind of got to sort of, you know, where they are right now. So maybe if you could share that with us, that'd be awesome. Oh, wow. So I guess um, my my approach to therapy is the reason why I entered the field. Hmm. So I am the granddaughter of a woman who was a nurse who had a massive stroke, my oh. father's mother. And I wanted to, I saw the therapist come to my grandparents' home and I wanted to help people communicate. I did not know that there was a major uh. that of communication sciences and disorders or speech and hearing science or speech language pathology. And I happened to go on a college tour. And in this college tour, there was, happened to be actually an African-American college student who was talking about her major in speech language pathology. And when she announced that, that's when I said, oh, that's me. And I started to, um, uh, I'd already applied to schools in their speech communication departments. And then I applied to other schools in speech communication and speech and hearing science. And so I got into University of Illinois in Champaign and, and some other schools, and I ended mm. up coming here. And I say here because I moved back to Champaign. Mm. Um, and I live here now. And I started um, my work in the field, but I became this helping professional because I wanted to treat people who were receiving services as if they were my family members. And I wanted to continue that approach towards how we think about people as we serve them. Mm. And then I got into autism hmm. and became a speech pathologist who specialized in autism, a behavior specialist. I attended a verbal behavior seminar. A parent sponsored it. I worked at a school for kids with autism in Connecticut and a parent sponsored Vincent Carbone. And it was just mm. when the certification was coming out, I went to the um, the three-day verbal behavior and I thought, hey, this is speech therapy on steroids. And why is he transcribing as if he's a speech pathologist? But I put all those differences aside and decided to um, pursue the verified core sequence. And I started the work towards becoming an SLP, also a BCBA. And I, after my practice was acquired and a pretty interesting merger, um, 
I ended up back here working on my PhD in special education. And that's what you're doing now. And that is one of the things I'm doing. <laughs> one of many things. One of the things. Now. Yes. Okay. I, I got a few questions. We didn't really talk about this when we did our pre-chat, but you're the first uh, SLP that I've ever had interviewed, let alone really asked any questions of ever. Um, and so I know there's probably been a lot of podcasts and lots of folks have had you know, SLPs on and talked about SLPs and ABA and all that, but I don't care. I'm going to ask some questions too. Uh, okay. cause, cause just, just, just for my own curiosity, cause I, I, I don't know a lot about it and, and I don't, I think I only know sort of locally in my area, maybe one individual that's certified on both sides, which I think is great. I love seeing folks that are certified in, in, in ABA and something else, uh, because I think we know, you know, I think, I think we know that ABA can sort of be applied to almost any field, um, uh, if you think about it. And so, like, I, I'm, I'm talking to I have an interview coming up with someone who's a personal trainer and uses ABA. And I've talked to, um, I had, uh, you know, Wes Lowry on, and he does a lot of sports stuff mm -hmm. with ABA. And I had, uh, um, I've had a few different folks that are, that are you know, using ABA in, in ways that I, I wouldn't think. There, there's, there, there's a guy... Um, um, uh, well, Josh Pritchard, he's, um, you know, in town of Florida and, and he, and he's like a, he owns like a bar and a pizza joint using ABA. So and I think there's just a lot of different people doing a lot of different things. Uh, and so I think it's neat to combine them. Uh, what the first thing you said was when you were kind of looking for, for schools and, and, and it's interesting, your, your story about your, your grandmother kind of, um, or, or was your grandmother-in-law, was it, or your grandmother? Either grandmother, yeah, yeah um, um, was um, reminded me of my mom. Um, my mom was in hospital, um, and uh, for for something or other, and anyway, but she had, ended up being intubated and, and the whole nine yards, and uh, and I spent like three weeks back east with her, kind of just just while well, she was in hospital, and she wasn't communicative at all because she was, I think, she was sort of. She was unconscious, but you know, she wasn't responsive for whatever reason. But anyway, um, yeah, we started, uh, I started sort of using, I took a basic AAC course, um, an undergrad one with uh, Brenda Fawcett, who's a, um, she's a, a local uh, professor that specializes in kind of AAC and, 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 and deaf, deaf uh, students and deaf culture. And um, she was a great course. And so I took some of the stuff she did and did it with my mom and essentially kind of had her using a letter board that I drew on, uh, on a piece of paper. And it was awesome. And, and, you know, no one, no one, everyone thought she was non-communicative and, and couldn't say anything and, 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 and wasn't really there. And she started, you know, pointing at the letters and it was like, here we go. This is awesome. This is cool. Right. I love this. Um, so I, I get, I get that, that sort of, um, you know, uh, family connection piece. And it, it certainly, it's, I still think about that, that time and, you know, you know, and, and, uh, you know, what else can I do for my family in that way as, you know, as, as mm. folks start to age and whatnot. But you said you went into, uh, you, when you were looking for schools, you were looking at sort of speech communication initially and then speech and hearing. What's the difference Are they the, 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 between those kinds of programs? Well, speech communication just works on 
the the use of communication, you know, expository and uh, persuasive and the art of what it means to communicate and speech and hearing science and or speech language pathology focuses on the dysfunction or the disorders of speech communication mm. and the 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 theoretical frameworks principles and the practices of restoring people back to their function of the their use of language their use of speech their understanding so you have people who've had strokes um and all other levels of complexity that mm-hmm. really run the gamut of of an age range of the of the life spectrum hmm. So if you went just into speech communication, you wouldn't become an SLP. No, no. And just because you get a bachelor's degree in speech and hearing science or speech pathology, language pathology, you don't become a SLP. Hmm. You still have things like um, similar to what we do as behavior analysts. You have certain courses. There is the requirement that you have a master's degree in speech Mm -hmm. language pathology um, there's a requirement that you complete uh, practica, and our practica is very, it's differently organized and ordered. So mm. at Northwestern, where I went to um, mm. my graduate program, you could elect to adult neurogenic, which I did the neurogenic court, uh, line, or you could do school age which was more towards in collaborating with people who were going to specialize and become what we identify as learning specialists, people mm. who I, who have like learning centers and work in precision teaching would have gone to Northwestern and gotten a degree in learning disabilities mm. and would be learning specialists. And the data system that they would adhere to would be more precision, more precision Mm. data tracking, but, um, or you could do early intervention, which was, um, so those are different areas. And within those areas, you elect your specialized practicum. So in behavior analysis, we just have a practicum, Mm. but in speech pathology, you have an age group, you have school and hospital um, practicum because those are two different types of hmm. um, documentation requirements, um, speed of which we deliver services, and the kind of long-term or short-term relationship we would have with our clients. And hmm. so you learn all of that in your practicum. Um, I will always, and you learn how to, you know, your practicum, you learn how to assess, understand how to do con- complete and conduct an assessment, write a report, and... Um, it's very different. I feel like I am a much better behavior analyst because of those practica in speech language pathology, because of there's such variability. It's, we're not standardized yet. We're so young in the practice of behavior analysis. So I look forward to what we will look like 10 years from now mm-hmm. and developing what it means to train train people to do this kind of work. And so, sorry, what did, that's cool. I mean, was, what did you specialize in? And what was the very final sort of, because you said adult neurogenics and then, then you went well, what's, or no. So, 
Yeah. It, it, so my dream job, my mm. dream job was to work with adults in a hospital setting. Mm. So lots of my coursework, my extra independent studies, because I wouldn't be myself if I didn't do extra things. <laughs> so I did extra independent studies with what who we would call the greats in uh, swallowing. So I studied under Dr. Jerry Logeman, who mm. um, was very well known in developing the coursework with regard to swallowing. I did mm. coursework in pediatric feeding and swallowing and a coursework in working with um, hard mm. children and people who had complex communication disorders. Mm. So it, cool. my course, my track was pretty customized, um, yeah. but it was more medical, medically based. And so when I found autism through, by being an outpatient speech language pathologist, and mm. I found autism through this one little boy, mm -hmm. um, I felt like the coursework and preparation with the supervisor that I supervisors that I had who were really behaviorally based SLPs mm. and also that coursework in neurology feeding and swallowing primed me best to work with that population and also the people who love and care for those people who were my clients. Hmm. Do you ever Kind of wish you were back in the hospitals. Not not that you don't like the work you're doing now, but you know, I I love clinical work. I'm a clinician's clinician, hmm. and people around me joke, but I have uh, little little. Uh, there's a subgroup of people that I will say, if something ever happens to me, you have to be my SLP. If something hmm. ever happens to me, like I know hmm. the goodness of certain people in this gotcha. industry. And I'm like, you've got to be my therapist. When my daughter needed a therapist, there were certain people that I just called mm. and um, I designed a program for her and she is still very much undiagnosable. And I don't say that to brag. Mm -hmm. I say that from a perspective of what therapy should do and mm. what it should be in changing the brain and changing patterns in people. Mm. Um, but do I wish I was back there? Sure. <laughs> but the work that I am to do right now with, with the hands and the, not only the platform of what I'm supposed to do right now, if mm. I were just carrying a caseload, I would not be working within the calling of where I am, what I am to do today. Hmm. What I'm to do today is to support, influence, and help build people hmm. in therapy who are therapists. Okay. We're going to come to that in a bit, um, <laughs> for sure. I had a few more questions, though, again, about sort of, you know, the SLP ABA thing. Um. You know, I think there's more and more folks that are doing this, doing both, which I think is great. And I'm, I'm sure they all have similar stories of how being an SLP has made them a better behavior analyst. I have no doubt, uh, you know, and I'm sure that goes the same for the OT, 
BCBAs and the DTBCBAs and even even the certified personal trainer BCBAs. I'm sure they all, you know, yeah. <clears throat> see how other other trainings have helped. And I think something we know, and we'll make it. We'll probably we'll probably get into this too in a bit. So I don't want to I don't want to tangent yet. But we definitely know that there are some skills missing from BCBA training in general, um, you know, that I think that, that, are, that, that, that a lot of folks have been talking a lot more about lately. But what I want, was wondering was, um, and I'm not looking for you to sort of, and I know you wouldn't, um, um, to sort of slam, you know, ABA practitioners, but there are some things that, that and I'm not in these areas, so I'm, I'm sort of speaking definitely outside of it. But there are a couple of areas that you mentioned that um, are that ABA practitioners are working a lot, a lot on, but seem like they're more SLP things. Um, so I'm thinking like the feeding. Uh, there's there's a lot of folks that are doing a lot of work in feeding and pediatric feeding and and uh, you know and, and and that kind of area. Uh, there's a there's a there's a feeding center in our local area and it's all BCBAs and that's it. And then you also mentioned, you know, the, the verbal behavior bit. And well, there's another one that that's all on kind of building communication and, and, and that sort of thing. And I'm just wondering, um, I don't, I don't really know what the question is per se. Like, I don't want to ask, I don't want to ask a sort of a controversial question. I'm not trying to ask, should, should BCBAs be doing this? Um, uh, because I think they can be, but I think this is where it's a lot of that play nice in the sandbox conversation comes from. And I know there's, there's been some conversations in the past about sort of BCBAs and SLPs, not always being on the same page or collaborating properly and, 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 uh, or getting along. I mean, I haven't had that experience personally. It's personally, most of the SLPs I've worked with have been super, collaborative and supportive but i've just heard of this sort of conversation and i think there's been actual a few years ago there was quite a few webinars that actually were called play nice in the sandbox um and uh, when it, as it related to folks so is i'm just i guess what are your thoughts on sort of you know aba practitioners who aren't slps you know doing these things that were normally in the purvey of <laughs> slps well well, since you've asked, but but I I I would like to go back, please, and yeah. and 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 for a, you know, not everybody likes sand, and so we always talk about playing nice in the sandbox, and that mm. would presume that would presume that all the people inside the sandbox like sand. <laughs> Love that. We would also presume that everybody knows how to play and how mm. you play is based upon where you come from and how the people you have surrounded yourself with play. Hmm. And so there's something wrong with, I think, with discussing play and sandbox as if everybody is all the same. Right. And that's the, the problem in collaboration. So we we've centered things and presumed many things about people based upon what we believe should be true, whether it's right, wrong or indifferent. We've just assumed these things. Mm -hmm. So um, a couple not a couple a couple days ago, I took my daughter horseback riding. And at the end of 
this is a horseback riding camp. And I just want to say that if you, I, I deserve an award just for taking her to this. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Um, but at the, but she, but she's my daughter. So I always have to remember she's my daughter. And yep. so when I see her do things, I'm like, yep, that's me. Um, and so at the end of the camp, they were doing this roundabout and the camp, the horse trainer had all the kids come and sit on the grass. And mm. I saw all the kids just sit on the grass and I mm -hmm. saw my daughter squat because she doesn't like to sit in grass mm. and neither do I. I don't mm -hmm. like the feeling, the, the feeling of grass. I don't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, and she was squatting and just, you know, looking very uncomfortable, but she was not in the, she was not sitting in that grass. And I thought, wow, we always presume that everybody likes the same thing. We're all outside. Great. We're all outside. But she didn't like those things. And so did she have the autonomy? Did she have the autonomy to say, I don't like sitting in grass. Do you mind? I, do you mind that I sit on this bench? Did she learn how to have enough agency? Do we need to teach her to have enough agency about herself to articulate within that time her specific needs and what she needs in order to listen well? So some people can't play because they don't like the sand and they're too busy thinking about the sand and they can't even think about, they can't even bring the best of themselves to this collaborative process mm. because the environmental variables are not set up well enough for them mm. to be able to be successful. Hmm. So is the problem with collaboration really about collaboration? Because hmm. I would like to think you have a bunch of people who have a brain trust and they have the ability to articulate their skill set. But what are the variables? What are the variable very uh what are the barriers that hinder them from talking? And is it because they don't have the communication repertoire yet? Is it because they don't have the agency or the autonomy to say, listen, I'm good at this, I'm not good at this. In order for me to do X, I need B. You know, do we you so is it about collaboration because i think collaboration is easy what people are not talking about enough is have we set up systems for people to be successful inside mm. of this collaborative space in order for them to shine mm. and what gets in the way of people shining so um i don't know the background or the extra courses all i know is that that people have taken to be able to um, to to do feeding or to do language. I don't know what they know. Mm -hmm. They know what they know. Mm -hmm. And so we have an ethical commitment to be able to work in what we know. We also have an ethical commitment to get information and get practice and skill and mentorship so that we can understand what we have learned and actually put it, those things to use under guidance. I think that we talk about BCBAs not knowing feeding. We also presume that every SLP is good at it. Mm. And not all SLPs are good at it. I have SLP friends who won't touch it hmm. because they know that this is not my area. Because SLPs are taught to have autonomy. We are taught to have a camp and a wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. And if I work with the school-age population and articulation is my thing, this is my wheelhouse. So I don't go 
and touch all of that. So this misnomer mm. of entitlement that we socialize of saving the world would mean that we are superheroes and superheroes act outside of character of, of their strength all the time. That's why they get captured and somebody else has to come get them. And this is big movie, right? <laughs> yeah. But if we would take off a cape and decide that we are people understand our wheelhouse and teach people to have agency autonomy and give them the tools, strengths, and variables to be able to articulate such, then we would then collaborate because hmm. collaboration is easy. Hmm. Hmm. Right on. So it's got nothing to do with the sand. Um, <laughs> or it's got everything to do with the sand because the sand, it, it ain't the, the sand. Box. But, I don't yeah. like sand. No, we don't want to be in the sand, so this isn't no. going to work. Yeah, and absolutely. sand does not. It does not wash out of hair well. It yeah. does well. Not all hair. It ruins your drains. I mean, you play with the sandbox, but you still have all this residue from the sandbox. Just you know, give me the concrete. Mm -hmm. Give me the concrete and no sand. Absolutely, yeah. No sand, no grass, just flat rock. Love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I guess you answered the question, but maybe you sort of avoided it too, in a good way. What? What did, what did I? Avoid? <laughs> I guess you answered the question, but maybe you sort of avoided answering the question, and in, in the, the in, avoided answering it in a controversial kind of way. I, I mean, I, I guess, I guess it just seems to me like there are things, like, like should. I know you. I know they know what they know, and you know what you know, and 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 there should be that respect. There should be the respect that I know you know what you know, and this is going to get into. I know, I know. He knows that they know, and who's on first? But, um, 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 but how do you get to respecting the, each other, knowing what they know, instead of instead of of speech and communication and feeding that's an slp thing non-aba thing whatever you know is wrong <laughs> you know you may know what you know but you don't know is is that can, could it's, be that it's, perspective it's a team it, it's a team thing because you're talking yeah. about com complex communication disorders yes it's in our uh it's in our coursework mm -hmm. but if you've not done a specific practicum in feeding and swallowing, and and then I'll talk about, <laughs> it also depends on what school you went to because not all swallowing courses are the same. Yeah. But but there is a certain curricula that is attached to learning about certain things, and I don't know if I, I didn't. It wasn't an avoidance of question uh, of the question. I think it's a. It's so complex. Yeah. So to say no in a sound bite, it'd be like that it's no, but it's no, not sure. just for no. Sure. It's it's so complex and it is about the it it, it really it's a team approach because yeah. I don't think an SLP yeah. for feeding and swallowing, and you know, then you then I have to get technical. There are phases of swallowing. Right. And so in certain phases of swallowing, there should be an ENT, a medically based speech pathologist, mm. 
and there is a there's a there's tests that people need to have with the speech pathologist on site to be able mm. to write up what is necessary and what techniques are or or strategies are necessary to promote safe swallowing. That is a medically based SLP's job, mm -hmm. but that is from the test of an X-ray where we're all in the room together. Mm -hmm. um, and I learned this under fire. I was um, when I, during one of my independent studies at Northwestern. I would be at the downtown speech speech hospital, and people would come in just for modified barium swallow studies. Mm -hmm. And I was a student on the other side of the of the of the window. And I had to write the report quickly and accurately before the next patient came in. Hmm. Yes. So that was a lot of pressure for a person to get the assessment, um, the evaluation, get the different, do the different postures and maneuvers to promote safe swallowing, and then to write it up in less than five minutes, get it checked by your supervisor, get it checked by the doctor, and nothing moved until I wrote it correctly. Hmm. That was a lot. That was stressful. Yeah. I yeah. still feel that stress. Yeah, I feel it right um, now. Do you feel yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, and, 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 and forgive me. I don't, I, I didn't, I didn't mean to imply you were avoiding the, the answer. I think what it was, was that wasn't, a, that wasn't a good term because I think what I was looking for was a black and white answer. And there isn't one, mm, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's complex. There's a lot, there's, there's, there's a lot of different pieces in there and it just can't, it just can't be yes or no. Um, and, and I get that now. Um, um, but. I'm not always good at not hearing. Uh, 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 at uh, I'm the type of. Sometimes I struggle with uh, what happens when people tell me the answer I'm not expecting, right? Uh. <laughs> and so sometimes it takes me a couple seconds to work around that. Uh, and uh, but that's good. I, I need that. Um, I think another piece that you, you you mentioned too, though, that I think is important is and and you know we make assumptions. You know we make a lot of assumptions. All of us do all the time, um, you know. I mean, I think it's important if you're working on any of these sorts of things to to bring in other folks that know about other things. Like if I don't know about swallowing or whatever, and I'm doing feeding, it's probably good to call an SLP up that knows about swallowing. Um, but similarly, what we might not realize is at that same time, you're calling it up an ear, nose, and throat specialist uh, to get to get some advice because now we're getting into some real technical stuff. I wouldn't think yeah. to call the ENT because I don't have a connection there, but you do. Um, and so I think sometimes we make assumptions that, you know, the other folks aren't, aren't looking for help too, you know, and aren't, mm. aren't, aren't getting outside support and aren't doing that teamwork on, on sort of in their wheelhouse. Like it's not in my wheelhouse to go to an ENT and get help because first I got to go to you and get help with sort of maybe some of the more basic stuff. And then you're going to go, wow, well, no, this is, this is even crazier, Ben. We need, we, we, we need an ENT. You know what? Actually, no, we need a surgeon here, you know, right. or, you know, or right. we need, or we need a, you know, a, you know, or, or the surgeon might go, you know, well, we need a, we need an fMRI, you know? And uh, so we need, we need to consult with those folks. I mean, like there's a lot of consulting that happens across different fields that one field alone might not be aware of. Um, and, and that, that the team that you're on might actually be a lot bigger than you realize. 
even though yeah. I, I'm not talking to that ENT, but he's still kind of on that team because it still goes. This goes back to my client again. Um, so, yeah, it's collaboration. Uh huh. But on, on a whole lot of different levels too, and I think right. don't don't always think about that. Um. No, that's 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 cool. What was it about? I'm curious what it was about because there, there's a few folks now that are sort of SLP BCBA. It's probably more than a few folks. Um, uh, are there a lot of folks? Maybe I'm just I have no idea actually. You know, is there? I, know, there's I think a, a, a there's group, less you know? than yeah. There's probably less than five hundred. Mm. Yeah, yeah, there's a list. Yeah, gotcha. So, so that's more than a few, um, but you know. Um, are there, are there folks that are like SLPs and other, th- other things, you know, that, that sort of, you know what I mean? So are, are there folks that are doing like SLP something else that works for those practice for practices I mean, or is, is, is ABA just the one? No, there are a few colleagues of mine who are SLPs who are board certified swallowing specialists. Oh, wow. I know some of those. And there are, there's a designation within our organization, within ASHA, there's a couple of SLPs that are also board certified language specialist, but the, the board certified swallowing specialist is, is one that is. Wow. So that's important. a, that's, that's a thing on its own. Someone yes. could be a BCSS and, uh, and, uh, yeah. and, 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 work in that practice without being an SLP or whatever. They are an SLP and a board certified swallowing specialist. But I'm saying there's also folks that are just board certified swallowing specialists that aren't SLPs. No, you have to be an SLP. Okay. Oh, I see. I see. I see. And so I guess what I was wondering, are, are there SLPs that, you know, combine other fields? Like you don't have to be an SLP to do ABA. To do to be a BCBA, but you decided to tack on the BCBA. Are there SLPs that tack other things on? You know that are, and and that kind of helps them in their practice. You ever heard of that? Have you heard of folks doing that? You know what I mean? Like so, like, are there SLP OTs, for example, or are there, you know? No, I, I I'm sure I'm sure people exist, maybe. Yeah, but so. I don't know. Right. I I don't know if there are any other. Yeah. There's probably SLPs and teachers right. that seems oh, yeah. to be complimentary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah. Hmm. Cool. Anyway, I, I, you know, I think I need to maybe just have an SLP episode one day and learn a lot more because I, I, I just, I know so little about that field um, beyond sort of the collaboration I've done, which has generally been around kind of AAC and FCT kind of stuff. Uh, which has been wonderful. I mean, it's, it's. Uh, oh, there, I have a, um, there are SLPs. Someone I, I mentee, or I still mentor. She's a, a great colleague, is an assistive technology practitioner. So she's an SLP hyphen ATP. So mm. those are people who. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't see. have to be an SLP to be an ATP. You can be Perfect. an OT as well. Yeah. yeah. You can be a BCBA, yep. ATP. I think there's yeah. one. He's also an SLP. Yeah. No, that's cool. No, there's, I think there's that's, that's, there's a lot, a lot of different things going on there. Yeah. Um, you mentioned ASHA, and I know, and I know what ASHA is, but uh, there's um, 
there's been some there's been so there's been some pushback I think uh and I'm, I'm kind of moving to a completely different topic here but <laughs> there's been some uh I think some pushback from some of the sort of autistic community of late um on groups like ABAI and and ASHA and others um essentially suggesting that and and, and that you know the that there's basically some some ableism is the term they've been using quite a bit lately um, um, in terms of sort of um, the decisions they're making about what they're doing and and, I, and this kind of falls into and I, and I don't want to go too deep into this because I know it's controversial and it's really not really going to be too helpful to the conversation maybe but seems to be a lot of FC stuff coming back in, into the world again um, so there's been, so there's been this, sorry, I should start over again. So the, you and I were talking a little bit in our pre-chat about kind of ABA reform is a thing right now. Um, and there's a, there's a real big anti-ABA movement. I think a lot of folks have heard about this now. Certainly anyone in our field have heard about it. Anyone who's uh, autistic has probably heard about it. And anyone who's a parent of someone who's autistic has definitely heard about it, especially new parents. And I think this is, this is where the, the big concern on our in sort of the ABA side of things has been the new parents are sort of hearing a lot of negativity about ABA and maybe deciding not to put their kids in ABA because of things they're hearing, you know, from adults, autistic adults who, you know, have these perspectives on ABA. Um, um, uh, and they also seem to have perspectives on, they're also having perspectives, not just on ABA, but on SLPs too, um, and OTs and, and depending, you know, um, I think not so much. I think for the most part, a lot of these folks were, are saying, you know, we'd rather have SLP services and OT services or some of these other kinds of, you know, um, non-ABA autism sort of treatments, you know, RDI and teach and those sorts of things. Um, um, and, um, downtime or whatever. Um, uh, or on the or floor time, sorry, not downtime. Um, and uh, uh, I guess the, the the question is is uh, one thing that's been coming up a, a lot more lately is um, is around um, communication and uh, and like letter boards and and uh, spelling as communication. And there's there's these big organizations now i don't know enough about it i mean i've read some of the fc studies um i've, I've uh you know i i've uh i've uh, seen i think it's uh, is it dr todd i think he talks a lot about fc and uh i don't know enough about it um but um except that there's there's just seems to be a, a, a ton of studies saying it's 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 not legit um but at the same time we're having all of these autistic kind of advocates saying that groups like, um, and maybe I just haven't been in these circles, but I, I kind of get caught in some of these social media circles, um, and uh, saying that groups like ABAI and and ASHA um, are are quashing their right to communicate and and their methods of communication and saying. And how dare you say, how dare you non-autistic people tell us that what we're doing isn't communication? Um, have you heard any of that? 
Is is that new to you, or is that? If you're planning on collecting continuing education credits for this episode, you'll need to enter the three secret words at www.cbiconsultants.com forward slash shop. The first secret word is spectrum. It's a, you, there was a, there was a lot there. There was a there lot. Was a there. Lot. there was a lot. There was a lot. It was a lot. And I'm sorry. I, I tend to put okay. too much in sometimes when I'm. That's a, that's okay. Trying to form my thought. So with regard to functional communication, I will exercise something that I discuss and articulating that that's just not my wheelhouse. Right. It's not something that I hear. I I certainly hear about it. But it is not anything that I completely take a deep dive mm. or dip my toe inside because yeah. it's not my wheelhouse. It's for gotcha. someone else gotcha. whose wheelhouse it is to talk about it. So I wouldn't be the best person. That's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the anti ABA, yeah. right? <laughs> the the anti ABA movement mm-hmm. is also something that you brought up. Yeah. And I was at a AAC think tank and I was giving a presentation and at the end of my presentation, because it was not about um, ABA. Right. It wasn't. And at the end of my presentation, someone says, what is your perspective about the anti-ABA movement? And what do you think? But it wasn't my, it, it wasn't, part of my discussion at all. At all, yeah. And then it, you know, I answered the question and then it continued on until I wrapped it up. Um for two reasons. One, that's not mm. what I was here for. Right. And two, my time was up. Yeah. Um but I think that BCBAs should be ready to have these discussions mm-hmm. broadly, uh gen- and and in smaller circles mm-hmm. when because it is a reality that is in front of us. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, a, a doctor, you finding out that someone in your circle is a doctor and you just want to ask them, so would you do the vaccine? Like you just gotta ask because they're right there. Yeah, yeah. So you just have to um be ready with the questions regarding anti a or, or the questions regarding a, ABA and this controversy. Mm-hmm. So I I always have this same that this answer that is around the same um area if you will mm-hmm. and it really surrounds one people who talk about ABA and the the its controversies and their experiences in this particular using this particular theory and methodology is their experience. Mm. And I am not I'm not positioned to tell someone that what they saw they didn't see mm-hmm. and what they felt they didn't feel. Mm-hmm. I think that in the world of providing therapy to people who have specialized needs, we have evolved 
professionally and practice in and in our practice to hear and see people in a way that we did not hear and see them before. Hmm. So there were probably many people, many practitioners who were uh, a smaller sect, if you will, a smaller percentage who were saying that this, these are practices that we needed to listen to, but the, their voices were, were not heard mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. And so now all the voices are being heard. Mm-hmm. And there's so many voices that we will there have are. to once again learn how to sift through things. But you also have this challenge in terms of who we are as a profession and our own identity. Mm-hmm. And so you see it coming up when you have BCBAs who say, I don't want to identify that I'm a BCBA or I don't, you know, I, mm-hmm. you know, we have mm-hmm. harmed people. Yep. And it's like, did we harm or did someone mm-hmm. who did not do it right do something? Mm-hmm. And should that someone or someones, should they be, should, should, should we, how, how much, how much as a field do you take on in terms of the weight of all of that? Mm-hmm. And then also, typically when people and in, when uh, fields of study and organizations have a uh, political dra- have drama associated and there's a movement that is anti dot, dot, dot. They usually hire external people to help them understand and communicate and um, have a different PR. They usually hire external mm-hmm. help and consultancy. And I've just not seen that yet because remember, nope. we we saved the world. And so, you <laughs> know, we have evolved from physician heal thyself because physicians are tired. And behavior analysts are tired. We are all tired. So can you really do the work for yourself that you need? Or do you have to get other people? Because to to get other people to um, help you communicate in the best way possible Mm -hmm. or help you uh, rethink your political, not, not your political, but rethink your relationship with the communities in which you want to provide services for and how do you best articulate that? I don't think that behavior analysts are tooled enough to do it ourselves. I don't. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that we need to uh, be humble, if that's a word that we need to use here, and it probably yep. is, yep. be humble enough and how about lead ourselves well to collaborate with other people who do this for a living. There's Mm. no way that you have a controversy and you don't hire a PR firm or someone who does communications Mm -hmm. and community relationships to guide you along the way. Yes. And so we we need that. We need, um, and then that will help lift the spine, if you will, lift our backbone. But we don't have identity well enough to have a backbone to be able to even have a comment. Mm -hmm. And so the comments look like our practicum. They're all over the place. All over the place. They're variable. Everybody's saying, and then you're, you know, and then you're bending for the the consumer. And it's not necessarily we need to bend for the consumer. We need to hear the consumer. We need to learn from our consumers. But this is an ongoing 
this is an ongoing method of a way of being that we need to take hold of in terms of what it means to have par participatory research or participatory uh, collaboration between the our our research, our practice, and our consumers because mm. it's it's as disjointed as it has ever been, and um, but we need to know what we're gonna we're gonna say, but we should make up the it shouldn't be a script, it should not be a script, and we need guidance. Yeah, and I almost think maybe both sides need some guidance. Yeah, um, you know, because I think I think neither of us really know how to have this conversation. Um, uh, you know, a, a lot of it's been. It's interesting that a lot of it's been sort of. You know, the, the phrase is sort of ABA is abuse, from you know the one side, and then from our side, it's generally no ABA is a science. That's the response, sort of over and over again. Um, no one wants to hear that. No one wants to that hear is that. Not, nobody no. wants to hear that no, ABA no. is a science. That no. is not the response. That's you shouldn't not, say that's, that. That doesn't help. And and then they, no. start, they start actually quoting research and whatnot, which also doesn't help. No one wants to hear research. Um, I mean, I think we, we know we live in a, in a world right now, um, you know, particularly, I think, I mean, it's, I think it's everywhere, but we're seeing, we've seen this a lot in the U.S. in the last few years, that there's a good chunk of the of, of the population you know that thinks science is a made-up thing you know and uh, and the science you know doesn't mean anything well science is your opinion is sort of the line you know that uh, that we hear a lot and i think that's that's a sort of a sort of a, a similar a similar kind of thing there um but can i can i just add this yeah, one thing please, yeah I have a friend who um, was a uh, a pharmacy salesperson, and she had a real specialty and a niche, and worked with a lot of different types of. Uh, she called them high high level doctors and customers, mm -hmm. because of the type of medicine that she provided sure. to these particular offices, and I remember her recalling how the words, I'm sorry, can just stop a lot of ranting in its tracks. Hmm. And sometimes when people are very upset, for whatever reason that they are upset, whether it's their own experience, and then this is my favorite, it's not your experience, but you're just talking about someone else's experience as if you, you encountered it yourself ever so passionately. Like hmm. that person for me sometimes um, is an interesting person to encounter, hmm. but it's always important to be able to give that person space. And at the end she says, and then you say, I'm so sorry. Hmm. And it's always important from an observer's perspective, when that is said, what happens next? So if you ABC it, right? You have the setting events, you have the history, you have all of this, and you have the behavior of, and you know, ABA did this and blah, and you know, the person says all the things. Mm -hmm. And then the consequence, the intervention is to have a response. And you say, I'm so sorry. Hmm. Hmm. And thinking of, and then observe 
what happens next, what that person does next. If they continue on, then it was never about getting an apology. It was about them having the airspace. Because you got to know who you're with. Because you don't want to waste your good energy with somebody, with someone whose purpose is just to rant. Right. But if it stops it, and then we can have a discussion, then it was really about cultivating connection, being heard, and being able to move forward together. But if we are behavior analysts, why don't we apply the things we know to these real world interactions? Mm Give a good consequence intervention and then observe the behavior of the person that you are with. Mm -hmm. And then you know what their purpose was. Mm -hmm. Because the purpose is always a private event. They're never going to articulate the purpose. Mm -hmm. So that was just, those are, uh, that was a good lesson that she, she taught. And it is, it has never failed me. Never failed me. I love that. I'm definitely going to use that. I mean, I don't find myself getting defensive in this conversation anymore so um, yeah but i think uh, for other ones that could definitely be cool you know you you talked about uh, you know behavior analysts sort of using what we know um and something i keep thinking about is you know in 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 the the phrase aba is abuse and the response aba is a science and then it's just back and forth is From the outside, if you're on the outside of any field, you know, and something real bad happens in that field, um, that's you know that and and it and it seems to be repetitive, or a lot of people are having problems in some way with that field. You're not going to say, "Oh, it's uh, you know, oh, it's the uh, you know." Let's let's say let's say it's medicine and it's some sort of medical device that's 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 hurting people. I don't we'll just make it up. And this medical this medical device is bad. On the outside, you're going to say, and, and it's a and it's a heart surgeon medical device. On the outside, someone's going to say, well, heart surgeons are sketchy. They use these medical devices. They're bad. They're bad people. You know, they're going to have that perspective. You know, on the inside, you're going to be like, no, no, this is just a device we were testing and it didn't work so well. And blah 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 blah. I think we're a lot. I think a lot of behavior analysts realize the, what the problem is. They know the problem is is systemic. They know the problem is our history. They know the problem is, you know, poorly trained practitioners. They know the problem is, you know, RBTs without supervision. Uh, they know the problem is, um, um, you know, a lack of training, compassion, and, and sort of building therapeutic alliances, soft skills. A lot of the folks that say ABA is a science and get defensive also say all that stuff. They all know all that stuff. And it's so interesting to me that we as ABA folks, and, and, and particularly I think about folks that are familiar with verbal behavior, you just got this tact of ABA, you know, uh, you know, of, 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 of the sound ABA, um, you know, is bad. Um, when all those people are trying to say is all that other stuff, you know, your systems are bad, your history's got problems, your practitioners need more training, you have supervision issues. But for a person on the outside who's receiving services and, and doesn't have all those in, in inside the inside scoop on kind of what those issues are, um, they're just going to say ABA is abuse, right? 
you know, because they don't they don't have another sort of lens to look at that. And I don't know why we DCBAs don't go, oh yeah, that's what they really mean. We don't have to go back and tell them what they really mean. We can just start fixing this stuff. But instead, we're, instead we're so stuck on the sentence ABA is abuse. Like we're so it it it, it, it there's so many of us, not me anymore, but there's so many of us that. That, you know, get tight stomachs and we have all these private thoughts and we get angry and we're like, but as behavior analysts, we should be able to kind of look at that. That's just, it's just a phrase. It's just a thing. You know, it, it, it doesn't have a whole lot of meaning in and of itself. It's just sounds coming out of the, the mouth. The problem is our systems. And let's, let's, instead of getting so defensive about the sentence ABA is abuse, let's, respond to all the problems that we're aware of but instead we just keep throwing it back at them throwing it back at them and it gets just more and more vitriol to the point where now even the autistics are fighting with each other you know um um, and i think a lot of it's got to do with the way we've responded to things um it's not really a question but i guess i just it just seems it seems like we could be doing a lot better in these conversations and, and I think you're right. I think we need someone, you know, outside of the outside of the field that that has, you know, a really really strong communication repertoire that can teach us some things. Because we're 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 kind of making fools of ourselves in a way when 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 we have these these arguments. I don't know. Well, well, it's it's <laughs> it's it's um. A lot of stuff because I, I want to say this. I, I want to say this. I believe in speaking in sound bites every now and then. Yeah, I do. Well, this is a coming from another field. Mm-hmm. I understand what it means to work in such a space of intensity that it becomes you. Mm-hmm. But this is a really peculiar field in that the the lives we we breathe eat and sleep and rest in aba not as a profession but as a not as a lifestyle but as a insular group hmm. with loyal with loyalist blind loyalty behavior that does not serve our profession well and it certainly does not serve our it it doesn't serve our profession well our external marketing and relationships and how we inwardly fight and treat each other Mm -hmm. now consumers still benefit from services because we have the ability to compartmentalize mm-hmm. ourselves and the practice of, of doing this clinical work with people who we treat. Some of us do a great job. Some of us are in the middle and some of us are just downright mediocre. Mm-hmm. When you look at the there's some things that we have to take notice of and observe and there are parents and people who are still calling and want services mm-hmm. if there was an opening on agency xyz's uh waitlist that parent would still get 
they, they would still get their child in for services. Mm-hmm. So there is a, a space of ego that we also operate in thinking that our problem, everybody knows our problem. Everybody's talking about our problem because we are so important. Mm-hmm. And not everybody's talking about our problem mm-hmm. because we are not that important. This problem that we have, this controversy is not that important to the lives of the people that we need to impact. If we could just stop tripping over ourselves <laughs> and tripping over each other, we would have a larger impact. But we are majoring in the minors. If someone <laughs> is arguing with me about something that they disagree with me about, <laughs> at a certain point, they will be arguing with themselves. Mm. I don't put my energy in that discussion because my I am focused on where my energy needs to be. We are not focused. Mm-hmm. Because why is it that we need, in, in the words of my father, there's some things you hire people to take care of so that you can do the work that you need to do. Yeah. So if I am focused on the fact that I need to have an impact on the end user, then why am I having, why am I trying to figure out what to say to someone who disagrees with me? They are not my customer. Mm-hmm. Know who your customer is Mm -hmm. and focus on your customer. Mm -hmm. And if you want to help control the narrative about your profession, then you get the people who know how to control narratives. Mm -hmm. That's what you do. Mm -hmm. So, but then you also have to think about the fact that within this anti dot, dot, dot movement, it is a white movement. Yes. I don't see black mothers saying this yes. doesn't work. I I don't. I don't see the mother who I, I, I just don't. Yes. I see people who can articulate. I can see people who have, you know, ha- have a certain stead in life talking about the fact that this doesn't work. But here's the story. And I'll tell you because I can point out some people they're telling you it doesn't work after they have benefited from the services that have gotten them to where they are today. Mm-hmm. Cause I've been around long enough and know enough people to be able to identify some, some, you know, people in, in the group. Yep. But again, if I did that, then what? Right. We mm-hmm. back, we'd be back arguing. We'd yep. be back fussing and fighting. That is not the point of this. The point of this is to evolve and get better. There is a lexicon of, of diversity. There's a lexicon of we've not, of, of all the things that we keep talking about in our profession and just not enough action. We talk about a lot of things, but there is not a lot of action behind it. Yes, we know quality is an issue. We know treatment plans are an issue. We know mm-hmm. ethics are an issue. We know that we are putting people in C-suites across our profession who have been identified as being misogynist and racist and all of those different things, but we keep moving them because this is what we do. Mm-hmm. So the distraction, the, the, the goal is not to, be, to become distracted by the things we shouldn't be distracted by. Yeah. No, that hundred percent. I get that, and and I'm glad you brought up the uh, and I was I was I was gonna about I was gonna go there um, that this seems to be a a, a white dominated conversation 
Um, yes. On both sides. Um, mm-hmm. um, uh, and so not only is it, you know, a, a lot of white BCPAs that are kind of, you know, defending, um, but it's a lot of white autistic folk too, that are, that are fighting. Um, I had, I had a, a black autistic woman on the podcast. I haven't released the episode yet. It'll probably come out before this one, but, um, and, uh, she's, she shared, she shared a lot of the same points that, that you made and, and that, you know, around and, and particularly around, you know, like privilege and sort of access to insurance and access to funding and access to services and, you know, and, uh, and, and, and that, you know, there are, there, there's a lot of barriers for, for folks that, that, you know, that are, they're a lot more important than this conversation, um, um, uh, that, that we're not talking about. Um, this, this is a very privileged kind of conversation, this, this back and forth piece, because, it sounds like these folks have other options, have other choices that they can make instead of ABA. Um, but let just just to clarify, because mm. I agree that um, one, there's 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 not a problem with a person being being white, and there's equally not a person a problem with a person being black mm-hmm. or of another race or ethnic background. I think what we are um, pushing inside of these identifiers is privilege and we are Mm -hmm. aligning privilege with white. There are black privileged people. I mean, no, no, no. Let me, let me stop. (laughs) Everybody, everybody has privilege depending on the community. Yeah, that's fair. Now there, there is for people who have, but, but the black person will still encounter racism, no matter their station in life. You're going to encounter those things. But I, 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 kind of am sensitive to when we talk about race and people to make Mm. sure that we're not pushing in and presuming that lack of insurance is there. There are white people who have insurance issues too. However, the research shows and life shows that the referral to treatment Mm. is going to happen faster and more frequently for the for, white, for the white family. Yeah. And so black children are going to get referred to treatment later than they do. But the research started in rehabilitation studies when they looked mm. at people who had strokes. When people had strokes, who was getting uh when or CVAs, who was getting referrals to uh, rehabilitation and speech therapy and treatment? Mm-hmm. And the answer is still the same. And then it trickles down to how does that look for people who have a diagnosis of autism and then the referral for treatment. Mm. But it really started with adults and adults and looking at the referrals for treatment for people right. of, uh, of different racial and ethnic right. backgrounds. Hmm, interesting. And I think, and there's also, and there's also the whole, the, not only is it, I think the, the, you know, white folks are, are going to get sort of quicker referrals. They're also going to get quicker diagnoses, right? Yes. And I think that's yes. the other big piece too, is it? And, and sort of a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, and I've, I've been reading some recent research and, and had, um, um, another guest on that we actually talked quite a bit about this or episodes coming out in a couple of days. Um, 
Anita Lee at uh, Western Michigan wrote a wrote wrote a couple interesting paper, kind of re- somewhat related to some of this. But um, um, yeah, no, there's a there's a lot there's a lot there's a lot of moving parts. And again, I think you're right, and, and it's important because there's because you know as, as soon as we throw you know make it all just a white thing we're, 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 we're missing a lot of points too. So I think I'm, I'm glad you kind of clarified that. All right. Let's, um, let's kind of shift away a bit from, from anti-ABA. I think there, I think I, I really I like, think we covered it. I think we did. I really liked in particular the, the second secret word is fire. The sandbox and grass conversation. I think that was that. that I think that's really important. Uh, but I think you're right. I think you're right. I think it, it, you know, all sides have a big PR problem. Um, and uh, I have started to see some chapters and some groups bringing in PR people of uh, in recent times, and I think that's that's a good decision. Unfortunately, if if you spend too much time announcing that you brought a PR person in then the other side's just going to think, oh, you're just trying to cover it up. But, um, <laughs> but whatever it's, it's, it, it, you know, we're not, I think we also know we're not going to ever make everybody happy. Um, so we just have to keep moving. And, and I, I really like your point of directing our energy towards our own consumers and not so much towards, you know, an argument that's not going to get you anywhere and not going to help the people we're serving. Um, something you said kind of kind of back in 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 the, in the intro was that what you're what you're really passionate about right now is is supporting and building you know other clinicians you're a clinician's clinician and i, I like that i like that phrase um what do you mean by that what, what are you doing there well i'm i'm glad you asked so i created this this thing called the huddle Mm. and the huddle really derived from just my own life you know when you need advice and or when you ask for it or don't Mm. there was this huddle and in my childhood home it was the stairs after dinner Mm. and my father would um, talk to my sister and I, and he would talk to us about what it meant to have strategy and problem solve things. And you were just better, more energized, but you had a level of continued focus to apply the things that were discussed. And it could, it, the matter could have been school. It could have been a work related issue when I had a uh, a practice. It could have been uh, a business-related issue, but the huddle I could always go to, and, and similar to what it means to you know what it means to be in a, a huddle. You get the play, and then you go on the field and you run the ball. If you're mm-hmm. a sports person, mm-hmm. so a huddle for clinicians is focused. It is targeted to for just that to give that level of mentorship, but mentorship alone is not going to be an answer. The Hmm. National Academies of Science did a listening tour across a a group of organizations 
And I was privileged to be a part of it when they came to Detroit to the National uh, Society of Black Engineers. And they did a listening tour on mentorship. And they wrote a 200 plus page book about the science of mentorship. And then on their website, created all of these tools about creating personal development plans between mentors and mentees and also uh, what it means to, there's a podcast, there's a, some audio supports for it, but there oh. is, there are models of mentorship that they, that in the science behind these different models based upon this listening tour or these oh. listening tours that they had across the country. And I created this huddle because I feel like not just me, but where we are now would suggest that we need to not only mentor people, what does that mean? Um, using that science of mentorship framework as an answer to that, but in combining mentorship with learning and performance, that's how you move the quality efforts. Because if I am good at what I do, because of the learning and development that I have and the training, but I don't have that support. I'm because mentors see you. There's there's mentors who are for what you are for. Like you mm. are on the same side because mm. that's not right. And we both agree. And the, or there are mentors that can be um against what you are against. And then there's mentors who are for you. And then there are stages of mentorship. Some of it is short term, some of it is a moment, and some of it can be long term. And so I think when people talk about mentors, everybody's looking for a long term relationship. And sometimes mentorship can be in a book. Like Toni Morrison is mentoring me through her book, The Source of Self-Regard. Hmm. So we have to think about how do we arm people, tool them, retool ourselves to be able to meet the uh, the supply and the, the number of clinicians that will become certified? How do we reach them in this world of Twitter and Instagram? How do we provide supports for people regardless of the length of time they have been in this field? Because I still... I still reach out to my mentors and my mm. mentors still reach out to their mentors. Mentorship is not an age thing. Your mm. the kind of support you receive evolves as you evolve. Mm -hmm. And then there are people who are your friends and you can have mentor moments with them. But there is the, there is um there needs to be more of it. And so the huddle was created to provide um, mentor guides. Um, it provides education and training that is specific. So we not only provide like a, a webinar, but a professional learning group so that you have a community to talk about what you have just learned and how you are applying it. Hmm. So we're taking what it means to develop uh, people and, and, and providing them with uh, tools and support and scaling it, you know, there are many people out here and um, who are providing mentorship and that's important and that's good. It's good for them. I just have a different philosophy about mentorship. Hmm. I don't think that you should think of me only as your mentor. 
Because then that would mean it that that all you need is one. You don't need one. You need mm. many for many different things. Mm. And so um mentorship is something that I am fortunate to always have had. I don't mm-hmm. know a life without it. Mm. And so now that I have had a moment to think about what is next, the value add to our profession, the value add to clinicians is something that is um is is important to me and we develop the huddle uh because of it. That's cool. I, l- I love the idea that that a book can be a mentor. Yeah. I think that's cool. It's not always I think we're pretty we're sometimes kind of kind of one idea of what mentorship is, like you said. And and like it's one person, you know. Um mm-hmm. I think that's really that's that's really really cool. So so how how do you do it? So like let's just say I want to join the huddle. What what's that look like for for someone new coming in? Well, our huddle um you you go to our website, you uh join and there's a nominal fee uh per year. It's probably a hundred dollars, one twenty five or something like that, and you join for the year and then you're in. Um, the only thing about the huddle is that the membership opens at a certain point and it closes. Mm. So it opens. I want to say it opens this this Friday. Tomorrow's Friday. Oh my gosh! Mm. So it opens tomorrow, and then it it will um, close on September fourth. Mm. And then we have within our. Um, so there's certain we've been doing like these fireside chats and a couple of other right. things, and those things will now be inside of the huddle. And there are we have um, a group coaching session for BCBAs who've been in the field for less than two years. There's another group coaching for people who've been in the field for two to five years. We have a clinical director group um, cool. for coaching them. We have a uh, Dr. Shala Ali Rosales is doing a uh, responsible parent coaching training and mentorship. Mm. It's, it's over six weeks for us mm. in the fall. Um, we have a couple more things that are that are happening. And then January we have um, and then we have an, uh, we have other events that are happening um, starting in January. Then the membership opens again in January. That's the point. The membership opens again in January and people can enroll. And of course, if you join, if you want to go to different events that we host, um, there's a membership fee and a non-membership fee. So if you're mm. not a member, you can gotcha. still join us, but it's at a larger rate. Sure. Um, none of our sessions are recorded. Mm, Um, especially the professional learning groups and those mentor moments with your mentor guides. Um, It's a lot of activity happening inside, but I've spent the latter part of the year developing the website Mm. because to develop an interactive website is in the back end of such was a different learning curve. I bet, Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's what we've done. That's cool. So 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 is is it so it's basically like cohorts or you kind of 
Yeah. And so is, is yes. it, would that work out to two a year or three a year or how does that, I mean, I'm it's, it works out to two a year. Two a it year. works out to two a year. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. The third secret word is person. And are there, I mean, because you, you, you definitely emphasized the importance of different mentors across across your life and across what you're doing i mean i know you've brought in like dr rosales in for a thing and whatever but beyond that are are, are there several other mentors that are sort of oh yes regularly part of oh this? yes oh absolutely um they are so so far we have about six mentors we have one that's specifically fo- focusing on career development for behavior technicians mm. Um, we have one that is focusing on career development after you receive your, what is that certificate we do? The OBM certification. Mm. So, so now what, what is your resume need to look like? What is your, how do you reposition yourself for the, for the career path you now want, Mm. um, with this certification? So, so a lot of career development stuff for people who want to, um, remain in autism behavioral health or BCBAs who don't want to be mm-hmm. in autism behavioral health and want to be someplace else. People need some some guidance. So um, we have a financial know your numbers um, for the small business owner from um, hmm. accountant who is coming in because I know that people have their own accounting teams, but I'll speak for myself. That is a, a a large um learning curve sometimes. So having someone to hold your hand and speak the language that you speak and understand the KPIs of behavioral health in our industry and talk to you about what you should be looking at and the kinds of conversations you should be having with your financial team is also important. So we have mm. that person who is conducting um, a workshop and is also a mentor. So, yes. And cool. and believe it or not, I'm not doing any of the, um, I don't have a group and I don't hmm. have a group. I do not. I do not have a group because I'm in a PhD program. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, but I, but I am the curator of these groups. And making sure that people who mentor do it in a certain way. So we have a person who is the director of supervision and mentorship hmm. to help develop the mentor's ability to mentor. Because um, that's a skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. I won't lie. So that, I'm, I'm, inside I won't lie. I'm disappointed you're not a mentor. I, uh, you know, that that would have been a draw for me. Uh, well, well, I... I <laughs> I I um I go inside of the the groups the the different groups yeah. and I do help to coach um to coach to do the the fireside mm. um the fireside chats right but yeah I just I just can't because of then you you got to know your capacity oh absolutely I can go in I can step <laughs> in I can talk and you know read yeah. and do all those things but. I have a lot of papers to write this fall. Absolutely. 
going to, I want to get to that at the, at the end. I'm curious what you're doing there. You've also got a little a podcast in there too. What, what's, what's that about? <laughs> it's just, you, every now and then we have the huddle. It's an indirect way to get CEUs in some mm. cases. Mm. The, the two that are coming out are not CEU based. Um, but I just talk to people and just like their stories. And mm. um, we have one that has been recorded with Holly Clawson. I can never remember her last I, I, name, but she's in talent. I, saw, I, I caught a bit of that live. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So the audio um, is coming. Then I did one with Lakeisha Cobbs Hayes, who is a BCBA out of California and hmm. owner of a therapy center and um, sensory keys. And I don't know the name of her business offhand, but hmm. she's Lakeisha Cobbs Hayes and she, we interviewed her um, just the stories of people. And I, I think now in our profession, we are ready to hear the stories of the people who hmm. own businesses and, hmm. um, and honor them. That's awesome. Right. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going to the Huddle website when we're done. I'm okay, gonna, gonna learn a little bit maybe, because I I definitely could use some more mentorship myself. So I think that'd be cool. And I like the idea. There's a clinical director related one. That's the one I really want to check out. Uh, yes, it'll it'll. <laughs> if today is Thursday, then we will. Um, it'll all be live tomorrow because that's, that's when the social media blast starts. Okay right on yeah well i might wait to january but uh <laughs> got a bit on the plate as well um so you do you do so much so many different things um i don't know how you do it i i, I don't think i could i don't think my brain could 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 coordinate all those different <laughs> things. I, I've got a few different things on my plate already, and and it's all it it, it gets confusing when I when when I'm, um, yeah, when I'm trying to sort of coordinate it all. Maybe that's where some mentorship could be helpful. Um, PhD in special ed. So I, I don't remember anywhere in the conversation you mentioning education or schools in any fashion whatsoever. So why are you doing a PhD in special ed? Mm. I'm doing a PhD in special education because I do think from a career standpoint, it provides more options than um, for me. Mm. And um, philosophically, I believe that special education is an umbrella that we all work under. Mm. So it just made sense. This particular program, I went here as an undergrad, so I'm happy to be back in Champaign. Personally, my children's one set of godparents lives 10 minutes away from us. Hmm. Um, and many of my college friends have relocated back to this area. Hmm. So, and um, I'm an older parent, maybe, I'm just 46. Um, but I have friends who have children the same age. So mm. in this area, mm. so it, it works in Michigan. We, we had that, but we were so spaced out, um, spread out. And, um, this is just a more insular community. My husband promised me that if we, that if I got in, then we would relocate. Mm. 
And we did. We, um, during COVID, designed a beautiful home and came here. Um, so I'm happy to to be here. And I was funded. I was funded for four years. I don't believe in paying for graduate school. I'm a Ronald McNair scholar. And that's what, and um, if anybody knows of what it means to be a McNair scholar, you learn about graduate school, you do these presentations, you learn about research, mm. but it is a promise that you make that you would complete and obtain a PhD. And um, after, it took me a while to figure out where I should, what I should do um, and, and, and having time. I didn't have mm -hmm. time before. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm here back. That's great. And I think it's awesome that when, and I mean, unless your, your plans to, are to be sort of an academic teaching ABA, I, I think it's really smart to not do a PhD in ABA. Yeah. 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 And, and to expand what, what, so what, what are you, what are you focusing on? Special ed's pretty broad. What's your... Yeah, so I am focused on uh, personnel preparation. And so generally speaking, I'm focused on personnel preparation and autism. Some of my hmm. current projects are social skills intervention and looking at um, an intervention that I actually created and use in our clinical, um, in our clinic, um, it's called Keep the Conversation Going, but mm. using that, um, it's a staff-mediated um, social skills intervention, but looking at outcomes um, for learners who have been identified as needing social communication, as needing social skills uh, supports. So kids with and without autism. Mm. Um, and then also um, one of my other projects is uh, looking at the the equity in social skills intervention hmm. um, and how we are positionally placing in our mediated, especially our peer-to-peer -peer mediated interventions, are we placing kids with autism to be peer partners or are we positionally placing them to always be under the direction of a peer? So the equity hmm. in the equity in uh, social skills intervention, and then how do researchers who are looking at social skills um, intervention, how do they view equity and inclusion? And mm. I think it, the positionality of researchers is really impactful when it comes to um, giving uh, practitioner tools, if you will, but what is the positionality of researchers? What do they know about equity? Do they care about equity? And how mm. is this seen in their, their research? So yeah. um, those are my three projects. I love that. I love that. And so are you at a, how long have you been in the program? <laughs> You're like, oh, you must be, are you almost done? No, I'm just entering my second year. That's what I figured. This is the problem. Yeah, that's what I'm I figured. I'm just entering yeah. my second year. But our program requires that we do a uh, an early research project. Mm. And our early research project, um, so one of those is my early research project. Another one is a literature review. I am um, I started writing in a class last semester that will be published at some point when I finish it mm -hmm. or revise it. Um, and then the other one really is connected to the huddle, believe it or not, because um, of that personnel preparation. Um, 
because the huddle is about personnel preparation. So the huddle yeah. will at some point be part of my dissertation. That's what I was wondering. That, that was going to be the question. Yeah. So what's the dissertation going to be? And, and it sounds kind of yeah. OBM-esque, you know? With it is. That, it is. Yeah. And I know that's a thing you're into too. So that's cool. Right on. I think that's going to be great. I think, yeah, I love the equity and and sort of the pyramided stuff. I had uh, I had a one of the earliest early episodes. One of the first ones I did was with a uh, she's a doctoral student that's studying pyramided interventions. And I'm, I'm wondering, yeah, I'll, I'll have to connect us. Connect connect you because I'm I'm curious. I, I I'm sure she's thinking about this, um, but um, be, just because of the conversations that we've had and and her her response to some of the sort of um, culturally focused episodes I've done and whatnot. But, um, uh, but yeah, cause it's, it, that is interesting. The idea of sort of, I, I do, I have wondered about sort of that pyramided piece and, and, you know, is it still a, you know, a typical student and an autistic student and a typical student? Yeah, a little bit it above, is. A little bit above, you know, I'm, I'm doing is. this cause I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good student and I want to get praise from my teacher and, and, um, you know, but in the end, I'm, I'm, I'm just a, I'm just a, a young EA, you know, versus, versus, you know, an actual peer, <laughs> you know, that, yeah, that, uh, that's, that's cool. Um, all right, right on. So it's a pretty good place to sort of wrap things up. Anything else you kind of want to, want to share before we go? No, it's been really nice, uh, getting to know you. So I appreciate the time. Yeah, me too. Right on. All right. Well, thanks for being on. We'll talk to you later. But thank you. Bye. Bye.